0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning service of Saturday the 20th of February 2010, entitled Essentials to Christlikeness, and the Bible readings are taken from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3. I was in a meeting one time and, you know, normally in a revival meeting, what we do in the states is before the service starts, we meet with a group of men and we pray for the meeting. And we, we were in there and uh, one of the men was praying for the preacher uh, that God would have his hand on him. And he, this was a country church and uh, he was trying to say, oh God, illuminate his mind. But instead he said, eliminate. And this is the way he was praying. Lord, eliminate his mind. Elimin-. You know, and I was imagining the, prayer, the, the pastor sitting right beside of him was getting ready to preach going, Lord, don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> but uh, I hope that God won't eliminate our thinking this morning. I, I've often said you ought to listen on purpose. You know, don't come into a service and just kind of be daydreaming and wondering and, you know, what we're going to do in the city center and what's going to take place this afternoon. Listen on purpose for the space of time that's intended for this right now. And I promise, if you listen on purpose, God will speak to your heart. And so, Hebrews chapter number 12, look at verse number one. There's been a lot of speculation of who wrote this book. It really don't matter. It's neither really here nor there. But um, the writer says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now let me stop right there and say a lot of people have said, Well, we've got a Group of people that's in heaven watching what we're doing. And I really don't think that's what the writer's saying. I think what he's saying is that there are people that have come before us, Panos. And of course, Hebrews chapter number 11 is a great faith chapter, it talks about Noah, Abel, Enoch, all of those, uh, you know, Moses, that have been those that have, we're we're trying to live the faith that, that the patriarchs did and, and depend upon God and it be counted to us for righteousness. And so we've got a testimony that's surrounding us from people that have. Uh, serve God in days gone by. Maybe your parents, maybe uh, your friends that uh, are are maybe with the Lord now, but we've got a testimony that's surrounding us. He said, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, He said, Let us lay aside every, what? Weight. Now let me say this. We've We've got a testimony surrounding us, but we've also got weights that hamper us. Now not everything in our life Uh, that we do is necessarily things that we don't that are maybe outside the church uh, aren't aren't necessarily sin but they can hamper us in other words you can get caught up in a lot of things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves but it can keep you from the main goal that you're trying to do and that is pursue the the the, the will of God there's a lot of things that's coming to my life that have tried to hamper me from doing the ministry there's been people that want me get in business with them and do all kind of other things, uh, Romani, but, but I've tried to make sure that I keep my focus on the one thing that God's called me to do. You can, get, you can get caught up in about 30 things, but God's got one specific thing He wants you to do. I don't know what that is in your life, but you know what it is, and God does too. So you've got the testimony surrounding us. You've got weights that hamper us. Not necessarily everything you do uh, that, that, that consumes your time's bad and would be sin, but it can take you away from the... I've said it this way... You can sacrifice God's best for some good things. And don't do that. Don't be one of those that sacrifices God's best for a few good things that you do. Focus in on the one thing that you need to do. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the, what? The sin. It is not plural, it's singular. He said, the sin, which doth so easily beset us or trip us up. Now, I wonder what that sin was when the writer was writing this book. Talk to me, class. Somebody, what do you think the sin which did so easily trip them up in that day was? What do you think it was? Anybody? Right there. Judaism. What he was saying was, and he goes through the whole book of of Hebrews, and he talks about, you know, Christ died once for all, and there's nothing you could add to that. See, this is what I love about Christianity. Christianity's not about doing is as much as it's about done. Christ did it all. It's done. And activity, you can't replace spirituality with activity. Now, there's, listen, when you get saved, you're saved to serve. You're not saved to sit in a pew the rest of your life. God's got a task for you. But the sin which did so easily beset them, preach, the one that tripped them up was the sin of falling back into the law and back into Judaism. This was the first century New Testament church. That was the biggest sin that they had that was creaking, creeping up on them that they would fall back into mingling the grace of God and the law. And that was the thing that they were troubled with. But I want you to look at the rest of verse. The sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the what? Race that's set before us. So we've got the testimony surrounding us. We've got the weights hampering us. We've got the sin that's besetting us. And then he said we've got a race that's before us. Now let me tell you something. Every single person that runs a race has a goal in mind, correct? I mean, you just don't start running and... You know, like Forrest Gump, you just keep running until he said, I guess I'm done, you know. Janae. Anyway, there is a race before every single one of us. And listen to me, young people. It is not important as much how you start the race as it is how you finish the race. Amen? It's important how we finish. We talked this week, Pastor Larry, about people finishing well. And you know what? It would be good if you finish well and not start well. See, a lot of people start real, you know, right out of the gate. And I mean they're just giving it all they got. You know what? About 50 yards into the race, they go, man, I'm, I'm wore out. I can't run. The Christian race is not about a 50-yard dash. It's about a 26.2-mile marathon. And this race that is before you has boundaries, by the way, There have been many people that have run a race in the Olympic events. And at the end of the race, that's why they call it unofficial time. They have to go back and look at the pictures, look at the camera, and see if the runner stayed in their lane. They have boundaries. If you come outside your lane, Romani, guess what? You get disqualified. There's been many people lose gold, silver, and bronze medals because they were disqualified for being outside the boundary of the place where they were supposed to run. There is boundaries in this race that you have. You know, my dad loved me. My dad wanted to protect me. And Pastor Leonard, there were times when my dad say, "Son, I want you to go outside and play, but don't go outside the fenced backyard." You know what? He loved me enough to say, "You can go outside and play, but just don't leave the fenced area." You know there's boundaries in our life, and if you don't believe you're looking for boundaries, look at every kid and thug that's not in here today and it's out there on the streets. They're a part of a gang, and guess what that gang has? It has a leader. And those gangs have boundaries. They have rules and regulations. Guess what? The God that loves you and don't want to punish you has rules and regulations and boundaries for us. And it's written for us in the precious Word of God. We've got a race that's before us. You say, preacher, why are you saying all this? I want you to look at verse number 2. Let us run with pace to race the race that's set before us. Why? Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse number 3. For consider him who endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye also be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, I want you to look up at me. In that day, they were struggling with the sin of falling back into Judaism. That was the sin that did so easily trip them up. But let me ask you a question this morning, young people. What do you think the primary thing that we get tripped up with in our Christian walk is today? What is the sin, the sin, not sins, the sin which does so easily beset us today? Trip us up. Cain, what do you think? So influences. The groups you you hang around with, peer, peer groups. Okay, anybody else? The sin which does so easily beset us or trip us up, Tim? Unbelief. That could be a good one. Anybody else? Yes, Elaine. There you go. That's a good one. Not forgiving. You know what I found out in the Christian life? And I'm going to speak about it tomorrow morning. You don't hold a grudge. It holds you. Let me say it again. You don't hold a grudge, young person. It holds you. When you get bitter and you get you become an unforgiving Christian, you're not doing what Jesus did. Jesus cried from the cross of Cal- Calvary, Father, forgive them. That means continual process every single day. Keep on forgiving them, Lord, for they know not what they do. We're to be like our Savior, so we're to be forgiving. But I submit to you that though influences, though unbelief, though unforgiveness can be the sin that could trip us up, can I submit to you today what I think? And I listen, this has come from a long time of walking, tripping, walking, tripping, and I can promise you that the people that sit across the desk from me when I counsel them, this is the one thing that they struggle with the most. I believe that this is the single sin that does so easily trip us up in the 21st century. You say, what is it? I submit to you it is the sin of self-discipline. Self-discipline. Now, I've entitled, I guess my my title for this session is, The Essentials to Christlikeness. Do you want to be like Jesus? Now, now let me ask that again. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Because if you do, it's going to take an act of discipline on your part. You're going to have to have some self-discipline to believe that He can conform you into the image of His Son. That God's job in this life that we live is to make us look more like His Son. But in order for Him to make us look like Him, we've got to be willing to let go and let Him have His way with us, as a songwriter said. If you want to have the essentials to Christ's likeness, there's three of them. If, listen, self-discipline. There have been many people that start, but they don't finish. What is that a lack of? Self, say it with me, self-discipline. You know what? You can go to New York City right now. I could take you to the corner of 5th Street, right, on, right, right down there where Central Park's at, and I can take you to a group of people. I don't even know what kind of religious group they are, but they're from the Orient. They're from the, 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 the Far East, and they sit for hours and hours Still, I mean not moving a muscle in meditation and prayer to whatever God they're serving, and they've got discipline. But do you know what happens to us? We get in our prayer closet, and we start to pray, and the old enemy sneaks in, and the first thing we think about is, well, what have I got to buy at Tesco tomorrow to, to make for lunch? Or what am I going to do tomorrow? What about that test I'm taking? And we can't focus because we've lost, uh, we have a lack of self-discipline. If any man come after me, what does it say? Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. We've got to have some self-discipline. And let me tell you something, young people, that's not going to happen by accident either. You've got a purpose in your heart to be self-disciplined. Why do you think the Bible says study? Y'all know it says study to show yourself approved unto God? The word study is a word, literally a Greek word that means to labor, to dig, to absolutely get in there with excruciating pain and toil over it. And young people, we cannot go through this life and think that the hand of God is going to be on us the way it could be if we just take a common reading of the Bible and don't dig and study and grunt and get down in there and try to get something from it. Listen, just a casual reading of it's not going to do you any good. You've got to get down in there and meditate upon His Word day and night, David said. You've got to have some self-discipline. The reason I believe that Jesus was the perfect picture of discipline is because of three areas, and we need them in our life. Number one, write these down. If you're going to be somebody that's going to be like your Savior, and make sure that He's increased and you are decreasing, number one, you've got to have what Jesus did, and that was focus. You've got to have focus. Look at our text again in, in, in Hebrews chapter number 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, it says, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race is set before us. What? Looking unto Jesus. You know what I found out, Pastor Leonard? When you drive down the road, you can't just be... And that's why today in England, and it's going to be pretty common in America, it's already started, that you will get a, a ticket from the police officer for talking on your cell phone while you're driving. Why? Because we can't focus on two things at the same time. I promise you, you can try, but you ain't going to do it. See, sir, I can be looking at you right now. I'm looking right at you, but I can see the young man behind you, but I can't see him as clear as I'm seeing you. I can still see him, but I'm looking right at you. See, you're focused in on one thing. And you can see other things, but you've got to be focused in on one thing. Do you realize when you're in a room and they turn the lights off that the pupil of your eye gets larger It's getting larger. It's looking for light. But guess what? When the light switch is flicked on, the pupil gets smaller, doesn't it? But what happens when the pupil gets smaller? The greater the focus. That's why Paul said, this one thing I do. One thing. He didn't say a hundred, did he? He said, this one thing, Tim, I do. So you've got to have focus. You've got to have purpose of focus in your life. And I'm going to tell you what, it takes an act of the will to focus on one thing at a time because this world, we know it. How many of you would raise your hand with mine? This world is absolutely inundating us with everything. You can take an iPhone. You've got your laptop. You've got every other article of technology at your disposal and fingertips. You can do it. uh, Skype. That's the most amazing thing to me. I mean, Skype. I'm talking to my wife in North Carolina. And here I am in England. It's amazing to me. I mean, when are they going to come up with teleportation? You know, beam me over, whatever, beam me up. I mean, it's almost at that point to where it's speeding up so much. But see, we're so inundated. We're so consumed with everything in this world. I was walking in the airport, in, in the concourse in France, while I had a delay coming over here. There was a guy who was on two cell phones. He had an iPad under his arm. And I'm like, are you really that important? <laughs> you know, are you really that important? He's like, hold on a minute. Yeah, yeah, one minute. Hold on a minute. Yeah, hold on. Hold on a minute. I'm like, you know, are you is is life really all about that? In order for us to have focus. Listen. Was Jesus focused? You bet your bottom dollar. Or you bet your bottom pound. It okay. Anyway, listen. It's not worth the yes, right? It's not worth the do Anyway, Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, didn't he? He had focus. He said, you've got to have focus. And I'll tell you what, when we go out here to the Sydney center, it's going to take focus on your part. There are going to be people that laugh at us. they are going to be people that might shoot you, wave at you with one finger. It's happened. There's been people out there that's cursed us out, haven't they, Penos? They don't want nothing to do with Jesus. But you know what? We've got to have focus. Jesus had the perfect focus. Listen, folks. When He looked over Jerusalem, what did He do? He wept. It said that when He saw... Listen to me, young guys. When He saw the multitudes, He was what? Moved with compassion. You know what did... You know what affected His heart? What He saw with His eyes. When you get out there, listen, you've got to have focus to believe that the people that you're looking at are not just a person who happens to have a soul. They're souls enwrapped in a human form. These people have an eternity they'll spend somewhere, and we've got to be focused. Jesus was focused. I can remember when I used to drive by Romani every single day for almost two years, going from Winston-Salem to where my destination was, where I lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I would drive by this young lady who would stand on the corner every single day and sell hot dogs. Now, let me disqualify this. She had a hot dog stand, but she was standing there in nothing but a bikini top and little mini shorts. All right? And I drove by her every single day and looked the other way. And you know what, one day I drove by Panos and God spoke to me and He said, Who you think is gonna tell her about me? Who you think is gonna tell her about me? And I said, Lord, you really want me to go talk to this girl? You know I'm a man, Lord. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go talk to her, I will. And I said, but you gotta you gotta make sure, Lord, you guard my eyes and make me look right in her eyes. And I went to her and I talked to her. Do you know what, Brother Leonard? When I talked to her for about 30 minutes, you know what she said? She said, I, I sell these hot dogs at this hot dog stand during the day, but I sell my body at night. She's a prostitute. And you know what? When I started talking to her, she started to cry. She said, you know what? Nobody's ever told me about this. Nobody. I wonder how long she had stood on that corner selling hot dogs during the day in her body at night, and nobody ever told her the truth. You know what, young people, when you go, wherever you go, in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, realize you've got to have focus, man. You've got to have focus. Be, have, have singleness of focus. The smaller the pupil, the greater the focused. You've got to have focus. But number two, you've got to have what Jesus had. Not, it was not only focus, but you've got to have Balance. Balance. When John was standing out in the River Jordan, he was baptizing that day. And he said, just like we read, he was the one that said, I'm before the one that's coming, who's preferred before me. I'm coming, I'm coming before him. But he is the one that is altogether lovely. And he's the one that deserves all the praise. He's the King of glory. And do you know what? When he came on the scene, when Jesus stepped into that crowd, he said, what did John say? Behold, look for your benefit. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Because He said, we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. You know what? Jesus was the perfect picture of balance. He was full of grace and full of truth. You say, what does that mean? Well, grace is, the, is that part of us that has compassion. But the truth is that part of us that is confronting. We Listen, Jesus was a lamb, grace, and He was a lion, truth. And in order for listen to me you need to have balance in your life young people. Jesus was condemned by the Pharisees when they looked out and they said this man he ate with publicans and sinners. He had meals with sinners. He had listen, he hang, he hung around those that did not know him. Why? So he could reach them. He didn't condone their sin, but he loved them. And he was balanced. What concerns me is most Christian kids today, especially in the United States of America, they'll only have friends that are inside their youth group or who goes to church with them or who goes to their Christian school. I wonder who's going to reach those kids in the public school arena. I wonder who's going to reach that person that's sitting beside you and you're in a cubicle at work. It ain't going to be the world. It'll be the witnesses of Jesus Christ that'll reach them. And I want to ask you a question. Are you balanced? Do you have balance in your life? Now listen to me. If you're going to be balanced, guess what you might have the tendency to do? You might fall. You've got to, to order to be balanced, you're taking a risk. That means you've got to be the perfect picture of grace and the perfect picture of truth at the same time. You say, well, it's impossible to do. No, it's not. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it is not impossible. It is an accomplishment because He'll do it through you. Be balanced. Have focus. Have balance. But number three, and I think this is one of the most crucial: is you got to have timing. You got to have the right timing. How many times did Jesus say, "My hour's not yet come"? "My hour's not yet come." "My hour's not yet come." And then He said, "My hour's come." Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha sat around looking at the grave of their brother for three days. On the fourth day, Jesus showed up they said, You know what, Lord? If you'd have been here, you could have healed our brother. He said, I, I didn't come to heal him. I come to resurrect him. I come to bring him out of the grave. And he went before that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. You ever wondered why he called Lazarus his name? Because if he had just said, come forth, everybody would have come out of that tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And even when Jesus, Pastor Leonard, was four days late, he was still on time. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus was four days late, He was still Him on time. There's a couple areas that you have to not just have timing in, but in order to have the proper timing, you've got to spend time with Him. Let me say it again. In order to have the right timing, you've got to spend time with Him. You know what the scripture said when Moses stood before the Red Sea and the children of Israel were behind him and the Egyptian army was coming up and you saw the cloud of dust billowing and here they come? You know what, you know what God told uh, uh, Moses to tell the people? He said, You look back at them and tell them, Moses, stand still and see the salvation of your God. Now, boy, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? To stand still. Oh, man, I've got to go. Got to go. Oh, we've got one on time schedule. Got to go. I love those people who say, you know, here's the way they say it. You give them a prayer request. They see them and say, how you doing? Oh, man, I tell you, my sister's not feeling well. Would you pray? For-? Yeah, I'll be praying for her. God bless you. We're always in a hurry. Why are we in such a hurry? Just to get in a queue at the, on the M6? I don't want to sit and travel the rest of my day. When I know that there is something going on that might deter me, you know what? I take that as a sign from God. I need to slow down. Might need to slow down a little bit. You've got to have the proper timing. And in order to have the proper timing, you've got to spend time with Him. God says, stand still sometimes and see my protection. See what I can do in your life. But what does Psalm 46 verse 10 say? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I wonder how many times in our life the Holy Spirit of God has whispered to us and said, I'd like for you to go and talk to this person. But we're not still enough to just revel in all of His glory. I wonder when it was the last time, young people, you were focused, you were balanced, and you had the proper timing. If there was a picture of these three in the Bible, the perfect picture, it's Him. And Paul told the church, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, he said, I want you to emulate, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know one of the greatest compliments you can pay anybody is to imitate them? But you know one of the greatest and the worst insults you could ever pay somebody? Is to ignore them. Let me say it again greatest compliment you could ever pay somebody is to emulate them, to imitate them. But the worst insult you could ever pay somebody is to ignore them. You know what I believe? I believe that God this weekend has somebody here at this conference by divine purpose because He has a specific task for you. And how long are you going to ignore How long are you going to ignore what God's trying to speak to you to do? How long? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm thankful that you are the perfect picture of focus. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're the perfect picture of balance. But Lord you are absolutely supreme when it comes to timing and Lord right now at a almost 20 minutes till 11 this time is yours and we're sitting here on by divine providence and we want to hear from you today I know I do and I hope and pray the intent of every single young person that came here this weekend was not just to maybe see friends though that's good and to have fellowship because I know it's rare but Lord, that day would come that you would have fellowship with us. I pray, Lord, right now that in this group discussion time that you would help it to be a benefit, help it to be encouraging, help, what, help each person, help each young person that goes into these groups to lock arms and realize that they and God are a majority. And Lord, little is much when God is in it, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us and help us to realize that we need to sometimes just be still. And see your person. We'll love you and praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.